My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Father, thank You for Your Word and Lord, how every, every Scripture, every word is inspired by You. God breathed. We thank You, Father, that um, Lord, no matter how short the verse is or how long it is, every word, every jot and tittle is breathed on by You. And so, Father, we thank You for, Lord, as You unfold this verse for us today and help us to understand exactly what the present truth for us today is that, Lord, we'll, we'll hear it, know it, obey it, believe it, embrace it, walk it out, bear fruit, and be pleasing to You, Father, in Your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. I got up this morning to... Uh, chalk drawings all over my, my uh, driveway. Very colorful chalk drawings. And we, we were keeping uh, four of our 12 grandkids. We had seven of them in the congregation this morning. It's an ordeal, <laughs> you know, anymore. As, as you get older, uh, I told Sandra this morning, I get it, you know. <laughs> I said, I felt for you I, I, because uh, they're raising their grandkids and there's a reason why you have them when you're young. But you know, Lori did, did all the work because I was, I was studying yesterday, so she had the duty of, uh, she said, I get them riled up and then she has to settle them down. So that's my job, Papa's job is to get them stirred up and then her job is to calm them down. But God has taught me a lot through the years in observing my grandchildren. For one, uh, like I said, it's much wiser. God was wise in giving us children in our youth and instead of as we get older. I remember once, though, uh, when Emma was, was much younger, our first grandchild, when she was much younger, she was staying with us. And... Uh, she wanted to play hide-and-seek with me, so I obliged, and we were playing hide-and-seek. And even though she wasn't very good at it, she had a blast. You know, when kids first learn about hide-and-seek, they really don't understand the concept. And here's what she would do. She would, she would hide in the same exact place every single time. It was the kitchen pantry. And I would always know because I would hear the door open and hear it close, so I would know exactly where she was. And I would go around, of course, and play the game and look in ridiculous places, you know, and, and look in the oven, for instance, and, you know, I'd, you know, kitchen cabinet. And I would call out and I'd say, are you in here? And a voice would come from the pantry, no. <laughs> and so I would pretend, you know, to continue to look for her and I would ask, you know, are you in, are you in the cabinets? No. And so finally, you know, I would, I would get to a point where I would, I would pretend like I'm frustrated and I would say, I don't know where you are. And she'd say, I'm in the pantry, Papa. <laughs> and, you know, at, at which point I would open the door and say, ah, oh, you know, act surprised. And she would giggle and, you know, that was the whole thing. And she just really enjoyed it. But here's what the Lord showed me while I was doing that. Now, I saw, thinking about that later that day that she wanted to be found. She didn't, want, she didn't want me to give up and just leave her there. 
She wanted to be found, and really we all want to be found. We all, from the depths of our heart, we don't want to remain lost. Every human being wants to be found. And so from the depths of our heart, we cry out, I'm here. I'm here. Here I am. Find me. Find me. Yesterday I was reading the Psalms. Just decided to read and just uh, wanted to just be inspired by the Lord, to hear from the Lord. And so I was just, I grabbed the, grabbed the Scriptures and I just began to just randomly read. No specific place. And I began to read in Psalm uh, chapter 39. And I just began to read. And I came across this verse as I continued in the passage. And when I did, I this phrase leapt out at me. Where is your God? So I immediately grabbed my notepad and I wrote those words down. Where is your God? And my initial thought was I wanted to address to you this morning that question that's posed by David's critics here because it's really that's what's happening here is David's critics are saying you know taunting him basically saying oh yeah where's your God and I wanted to to deal with that and it's a legitimate question because I feel like that often the world insinuates that to us you know where is the God of you so-called Christians where is your God but as I began to meditate on it, as I usually do, and I start thinking about this, I realized it began to expand to more than just that. Because I realized that before we can address our critics with that question, where is our God, we first have to answer the question for ourselves. Where is my God? Where is our God? Because if we're honest, there have been times in our lives when we've wondered, where is God in this situation? You know, the whole point of, of TJ making, you know, making a, uh, a comment about you know, what uh, the gifts have gone through, you know, I've often thought that. And if anybody had a, that question, you know, if we, we've all had those times in our life, but you know, some of them some of us more desperate than others, you know. Where is our God? Where is God in this situation? It's a question that's been that's weighed on many a Christian heart down through the ages. Where is God? I'm going to remember a story that Eli Easel shares in his book Night, where he talks about and a Holocaust survivor as he talks about uh, having to be paraded in front of a young boy that had been hung from a gallows. And he was not heavy enough, and so he, he was strangling for a half an hour, and they had to watch that. And he heard a man murmur behind him, where is God? When we're faced with overwhelming circumstances, we do cry out, and deep cries out to deep, and we ask that question, where is God? But as I begin to think about those questions and begin to think about, you know, where is God? And we ask that, honestly sometimes from the depths of our heart, when we're in dire circumstances, as I began to meditate on it, I realized that that where question, that this is not the first time the where question comes up in the Bible. The question of awareness was also found many other places in the Bible. I did a quick look this morning, and the word where is found several hundred times in the Bible. 
But the where question was asked very early in the Bible, and it was not asked, first of all, by man. It was, first of all, asked by God. Remember in the garden after man had disobeyed and after his disobedience had become disconnected with God. Remember the scene. God comes down to walk in the coolness of the day and asks that famous question that we find here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? I want you to think about this a little bit differently this morning because I think our thinking, I believe our thinking is wrong. You see, our thinking is we frequently ask God, where are you? And God is asking, no, where are you? Here's the wrong thinking. It's not, I'm here, where is God? Instead, it's, God is here, where am I? God is always where He's supposed to be. I'm not always where I'm supposed to be. God is more here than I am. I am the question, not God. So in that place, in that garden that day, God was right where He was supposed to be. Guess who wasn't? Adam was not where he was supposed to be. You see, the Bible is very clear about the awareness of God. To use a theological term that you've probably heard before, omnipresence, that's a great theological term. It's not found in the Bible, but the concept is found throughout the Bible. God is omnipresent. That just means He's everywhere at all times. But the problem with that one with me is that that's a bit impersonal. Because all that means is that God pervades His his universe. That means that God is just as much in the desert in His omnipresence as He is right here in this room. He's just as much present in the farthest reaches of our universe and the farthest star as He is with me right now. So that's a bit impersonal in my opinion. But there's different levels of God's presence I believe the Scripture teaches, you know, that where two or three are gathered in His name, He said, I'm there. And so we have the promised presence of God, and that's great because we can say today, there's one, two, three, there's three of us here. And we can say God is present with us because He promised to be present with us where two or three are gathered. That's another level of God's presence. And we praise Him and we thank Him for being here in His faithfulness. What I call the personal presence of God, and it's based on our relationship with Him. It's, the, it's like the relationship you have with your wife, the personal presence. When you're apart, you want to be together. There's that personal presence with God that, in which He declares, I will never, ever, ever leave you, nor ever, ever forsake you. And that's the Greek, by the way, five different negatives it uses in that one verse. God's trying to say, listen, you're stuck with me. And there's a personal presence of God, the kind that gives you goosebumps, you know? The kind that actually you feel something. You, 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 your hair stands on end. You, you, you smile. You, you're, there's a joy in your heart. There's peace in your heart when you feel that presence of God. And those times happen to me 
uh, like them to happen much more frequently than they, than they do, but God is present in that way on a very, very personal level. That's the where that we need and we ask for when we ask for the presence of God. But let me flip it around because that's also the same personal presence that God seeks from us when He asks the question, where are you? Where are you? He's not talking about geography here. He's talking about mindfully, emotionally, and spiritually present with Him. See, God can be present with us and us not be present with Him. I love words. I love, you know, Joe's been with me for 26 years. He, he knows I'm a word person. I love, I love breaking them down, dissecting them, analyzing them. I've got dictionaries on etymology. I love looking at the origins of words. And, you know, I just love, I love, you know, I, I sometimes diagram sentences in my head while I'm reading the Bible. You know, I'm a bit of a word nerd, if you want to call it that. When I was a teenager and first started dabbling a little bit in Greek, I came across a great method to help learn Greek prepositions. Now, because we taught our kids at home, I can remember one of the things I taught them when I was teaching them uh, grammar or English, English grammar, was uh, the definition of a preposition. A preposition, which by the way, prepositions, there are only about 150 English prepositions. Uh, there are multitudes of nouns. You can imagine the world is filled with nouns. There are many, many countless verbs, but there's only 150 prepositions, but we can't do without them because they answer the question, where? They answer the, they, they talk about location. And so they're hugely important. So when I was beginning to study Greek a little bit, I came across this diagram that helped distinguish the Greek prepositions for me. And I want to just throw it up on the screen. These guys can put it up on the screen for me. This is, this is what I first saw, although there were Greek words instead of English words. <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's a preposition based on its relationship to this circle. In other words, the word above or over is, is placed above the circle, as you see. The word on is placed on the circle. The word in, uh, the preposition in or inside or within is placed within the circle. Through is, you, you know, you get it. You see what, what's going on here. Imagine yourself being the circle. Imagine that this is you. Because I want to talk to you about God's presence with you. Because as I, as I was thinking about this and I was meditating on this, I began to just smile because I thought, you know, God is basically all, a lot of these prepositions with us. I thought about the Scripture that talks about God being over us. God being above us. What does that mean to us, that God is above or over me? That means that God watches over me. He takes care of me. He's in authority over me. He's above me. I'm below Him. I love that. The Bible talks also about God being behind us. I, I, I love in Isaiah, the Bible calls, actually calls God our rear guard. He's behind us. What does it mean to be behind us? What does it mean for somebody to be behind you? being behind you in the sense of supportive, or being behind you to gently push you along. Keep going. I'm behind you. Or to be behind you to watch your backside because you can't watch it yourself. God is behind you. 
The Bible talks about God being beside you. The Bible even talks about the Comforter, who is the Spirit of God, coming alongside the word paraclete, parakaleos, means to stand alongside, beside us. That means comfort. Lori was standing beside me. There's a sense of comfort and security there when someone stands and walks beside you. The Bible talks about God surrounding you. As the mountains are around Jerusalem, so God surrounds His people. Lori and I were surrounded today. There's something really secure and comforting about that. So God God surrounds you. He's all around you. God is also ahead of you. The Bible says God will go out in front of you, before you, and fight your battles for you. God is in your tomorrow. That's how much God is ahead of you. He's in your tomorrow, working things things out before you even get there. God is ahead of you. And then God is within you. He is in you. So, that's the awareness of God. We should never doubt that. We should never now say, God, where are you? He's above us, around us, surrounding us, in us, inside of us, under us, behind us, supporting us, beside us, all of these things. That's the where of God, and the where of God is not the question. The where is your awareness, where you are. God asked Adam that question not because he, <clears throat> not because he didn't know. God is never informed of something. Don't ever think that when you're praying, you're informing God of something He doesn't know. You know, for God to actually gain knowledge means He didn't know it before, which means He's not omniscient. He didn't, you know, He's learning. God doesn't learn, and so He doesn't ask a question for information. God's questions in the Bible are always rhetorical. He wanted Adam to reflect on it. You ever, ever had somebody ask you a question that all of a sudden... We, we did that Wednesday night. We asked some questions which drew out of people things that they hadn't thought of. That happens when questions are asked. It provokes thought. It provokes reflection. It provokes, hopefully, an honest response. It provokes Adam. It provoked Adam to wake up, to make him aware of his condition. And that's why God says, where are you? Wake up. Pay attention. Where are you? This was not the only place that God was concerned about the where of a wayward child. I was thinking about a number of places, but I wanted to specifically talk about one other specific place where God asked the where question in different words, but similarly. And it was to Elijah. Elijah, great Elijah, who comes on the scene you know, with great bravery and valiant, you know, man comes and sticks his finger in Ahab's face, says, you're the man who's caused the, you know, and does all this, stands and, and, and defies 450 prophets of Baal, believes God for a miracle, sees all this stuff happen, and, uh, and, and sees a great and powerful victory. And then one woman, Jezebel, says, puts a hit on him. He's a dead man. And what does Elijah do? He runs in terror. I I, I can't wrap my mind around that. I mean, it is 450 men against one woman, you know. I mean, 
Maybe it's maybe men find it more be braver instead of four, in front of 450 men than one woman. But anyway, he runs for his life. Suddenly, he's forgotten everything that just happened, apparently. And he runs for his life, and he ends up in a cave. And by the way, never play hide-and-seek with God because he cheats. He, he knows where you are. That's what David said in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I hide or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, whoa, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. See, the wearer of God is not the question. You can't hide from God. So, Elijah runs. He finds himself in a cave and God approaches Elijah with these words. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's really another where question. In other words, he's saying, Elijah, where are you? Look at where you are. Have you ever asked, and again, God's not asking because he needs to be informed. We've, we've done that with our kids. What are, you, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Look at where you are. Listen, he's, he's not asking this question of somebody who's never done anything. What he's doing is he's asking this question of someone who's stopped doing anything. See? Suddenly Elijah stopped. He has this great victory, and now where is he? He stopped. Someone who now has stopped relying on God. What happened to that man the day before who relied on God? I mean made it really hard for God to perform this miracle. Had him dig a trench and put water in it and said, we'll make it really hard for God. I mean, what great faith. Man, I would have wanted dry kindle, <laughs> kindling wood, and I, wanted, <laughs> I would have wanted every advantage, and he made it hard for God, and God came through and wrought a great victory on that day. And now, the next day, he's in a cave, afraid for his life. Here's a man now, all of a sudden, who thought, well, I, you know, I know God saw, saw me through the day before, but now I have to take matters into my own hands. I have to run for my life. God can't protect me. He protected me against 450 prophets of Baal. But I have to take matters into my own hands. He started seeing the circumstances, Jezebel, as greater than God. So here he is hiding out in a cave. Let me pause for just a moment and ask you a question here. Are you hiding out in a cave? What cave are you hiding out in? A cave of doubt? A cave of disillusionment? A cave of fear, perhaps? A cave of self-pity? Remember Elijah's response when God said, you know, what are you doing here? And he said, look, he said, God, I'm the only one doing anything for you. That's basically a paraphrase. I'm the only one doing anything for you. There's nobody else around. God said, oh, I've got thousands out there. But there's this moment of self-pity, a moment really of arrogance, spiritual arrogance. Or even loneliness. I'm the only one. What cave are you in? Cave of self-doubt? Cave of, cave of self-pity? Cave of unforgiveness? Resentment? 
The cry needs to come out from that, the cave that we're in. God, where are you? And God says, no, I'm here. Where are you? For some people, God has been relegated to the back seat. You know, we're the driver. God's in the back seat. I'll call on you if I need directions at some point. He's like a GPS. Or he's a 911 call. In other words, we only call out to God when we really, really need him. He's unacknowledged until it's an emergency. It's like a friend of mine said to me one time, and he said it tongue-in-cheek, but, he, but the point was well made. He said, has it come to this that we have to pray? As though prayer is the last resort. We've let it go so far that now we have to, oh, it's gotten far enough that we actually have to pray now. Instead of saying prayer should be the first thing the first resort, the first thing we think about. I started out with the question, where is your God? I hope that I've answered that that's not the proper question, that God is fully here, fully in your life at all times. Our problem is, where are we? You've heard people ask the question before, where's your mind? Where, where's your heart? We understand what that means, that sometimes people are so distracted that their mind is not there. They're not fully engaged. And in a sense, that's what God is, is asking. Where are you? You're distracted to the point that I'm not in your thoughts. I'm not there at all. I'm here, but you're not there. You're not engaged with me. And for so much of us, life distracts us so much that God finds Himself a distant second, third, fourth, or tenth, or, or whatever. I've shared this verse on several occasions. As, as a matter of fact, as, as, as uh, early as last April, I shared this verse. I come back to this verse from time to time. It's, it's one of these lifelong verses that will always be a part of of my message and part of who I am because to me it's such a simple verse. I've shared this verse because it's a, and it's a good one to leave you with because it's such a simple verse, but if we were able to somehow walk in this, it would solve so much of our difficulties. Because God promises us, and you can put that verse up now, it's the verse that we, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths or direct your paths as the King James Version says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. If you do that part, God promises I will do my part. If you do A, I will do B. If you acknowledge me, I will make your paths straight. I will direct your paths if you will acknowledge me in all, your, all of your ways. Very simple Scripture. But God says you need to do it in all your paths. The directions and choices of your days. He says, acknowledge me. In your waking up ways, in your getting dressed ways, in your, in your driving ways, in your work ways, in your school ways, in your eating ways, in your sleeping, in every way, in every choice, in every direction, in every path, God says, I want you to acknowledge me. Whatever ways or paths you will take throughout the day, God says, acknowledge me. Not in just some of your ways, not in your church-going ways or your daily devotion ways or when you happen to bow your head for a prayer over a meal ways. God says, in 
all of your ways, not some of your ways. All of your ways deserve to have a connection with God. He says, he says, acknowledge me. Let me, let me share something a friend of mine used to do. And, you know, some people have these uh, the software or timers on their computer that remind them every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes, every 30 minutes to get up and stand up and stretch because sometimes we're hunched over our workplace or doing what we're doing for so long we can get stiff. As one, my, one of my handball friends, older handball friends says, get stoved up. You know, it's, that's an old way of saying it. But we do that. And so there's these timers to remind us to just get up and stretch and so forth. Maybe we need those kinds of timers to take a Selah from time to time from what we're doing and just pause and acknowledge God in this way. I have a friend that used to play golf with God. He told me, he said, you know, when I'd go out on the golf course, and he said, if it was just me, he said, I would hit two balls. I would hit one for myself and one for God. And I would, I would say to God, good shot, God, or, oh, man, you really sliced that one, God. He says, sometimes I actually beat God. But you know, that was his way of walking with God and talking with Him and acknowledging Him in such a simple part of life. That's really what this verse is talking about. It's much like well, the way Jesus, the man, Jesus Christ lived. Jesus came to show us how we as men and women should live. He walked with God. He talked with Him. Every part of His ways were all about God. I can remember when He went to Lazarus' tomb as He was coming to Lazarus' tomb. He said, Father, I thank You that You have heard me, past tense, and always hear me. But for their sake, I say this. So He said it publicly only so that they would know. But He said, I've been talking to You. I always talk to You. But so that they will know I say it out loud. That's the way Jesus lived His life. In all of His ways, He acknowledged God. If we acknowledge Him, and the word acknowledge, it's not a word we use very often, so some of the common ways, and I shared this back in April, some of the common ways this Hebrew word has been translated to help you understand what it means is, uh, we'll put up it on the screen here. These are just simple, simply, simple translations actual translations in the English Bibles of this Hebrew word. Acknowledge, acquaint, be aware, comprehend, consider, discover, discern. In other words, let's, let's insert some of these. In all your ways, be aware of God. In all of your ways, consider Him. In all of your ways, discover Him. Discover God in that situation you're in right now. In all of your ways, discern Him. In all of your ways, I like this one, experience Him. Experience God in all of your ways. Experience God, or find God in all of your paths, in all of your ways. Perceive Him, regard Him. These are just actual translations of the Hebrew word. Now, I know I've shared this portion as recently as April, but it's good to, to, to revisit this. And again, this is something that I will re revisit from time to time. I believe if we get this, it's an important way to live, and it will, again, solve a great deal of our problems. I'm sharing this this morning because I want to talk to you about how we can answer the critics, where is your God? But I felt like we can't do that unless we get this. If we get this... The other, you'll see, is very clearly solved. And we'll talk about that next week. So this is kind of a two-parter. But I, want you to, I wanted you to see this. Where is your God? 
Because what happens is that it's us that drifts, it's us that wanders, it's us that finds ourselves in the, in the deep, dark cave of life. And it's God who's saying, no, where are you? You should have been to a place in your life where you would have been prepared and wouldn't have to ask the question, where is our God? Because God would be, you would be where God was. Why are we here? Why are we in a cave of doubt? Why are we in a cave of resentment or unforgiveness or self-pity? Why are we in a cave of sadness and how do we get out? Some of us find ourselves there. I want you to hear this morning again, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I'm in that cave, guess what? God's going to show up and say, I'm here. He's going to open that pantry door and say, there you are. You shouldn't be in here. But, and he calls us out. And that's what he's doing this morning.